Hello, welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. Clarity is our one-year experience as a church where we just want to see Jesus more clearly, have a better vision and a clearer vision of who he is and what he do, what he has done on our behalf. Uh, I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And today, just the first thing we want to say is Happy New Year. Um, oh. We're now into the, the 2020 year, and uh, we know for many, this is a season of making resolutions. For many of us, uh, that won't last more than three or four weeks. And uh, we just want to come alongside you right now. And as we are entering a new calendar year, we're a month into our Christian calendar. And the thing that we're trying to do this year is almost step back from our culture's uh, way of marking time, our culture's way of marking seasons, and instead mark it with what the story of Jesus is and what he's about and and do that as a church together for a year. And so we just want to encourage you as we're a month in to this whole clarity uh, season, we just want to encourage you to keep going. Like if you've missed a week, no big deal. Catch up where we're at. Um, if you, if you, you don't have to feel like you have to go back and do everything, um, like catch up where we're at, stay in your Devo, uh, keep having these conversations. And, uh, we really, really, really want to just say thanks for everybody that's, that's going on this journey with us. And, uh, and yeah, anything you want to add to that, Nick? Yeah, just, just encourage you to keep going, join in. And I think community is going to be central to that, um, to being with other people who are walking through it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well today kind of coming off of our epiphany, uh, intro we did last time. We, we're going to kind of pick up where the story ends in the the biblical account. We have the baptism of Jesus, and immediately after the baptism of Jesus, in uh, three of our gospel accounts, it's this weird story where out of nowhere he goes out into the wilderness and hangs out with Satan for forty <laughs> days, and it gets weird and like he's getting attacked and he's hungry. Like Nick, what do we do with this story? Why is it even there? Yeah, I think it's it has to be important because all three of what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke include it. So clearly it's 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 an important story in the presentation of Jesus. And I think that is the place to think of it is in this epiphany season, Jesus is being revealed as the light of the world. So it's kind of our introduction to him, getting to know what he's all about, and really the question, what kind of Messiah is this? What is Jesus' ministry going to look like? So just just for, for helping us here, Messiah, that's a word mm-hmm. we throw around a lot in church. What is that? Messiah, yeah, great question. Messiah, it, it means anointed one, like anointed with oil. The best contemporary picture I think we have, this is a second time for a Lion King reference, um, Nick we, just Nick just rubbed his face with his I head. Did. I actually he just did rubbed the motion myself while saying with oil. He couldn't help himself, <laughs> and so I just want to note that you can't see you. this here. But yeah, anyway. thank you for bringing that out. Um, but in in the beginning of Lion King, when Simba has the little mark put on his forehead, that that is showing he is marked to be the next king, and he's the anointed he's one. the anointed one. And so that was the idea of anointing of Messiah, which just means anointing. Uh, the same word, the, the Hebrew word Messiah, um, is the Greek word Christos, or Christ. So that's where those two ideas come from. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus' okay. last okay. name. It is it is the translation of, of that Hebrew concept of Messiah, the anointed one. So Jesus, the anointed one. So it's a title. So when we see Jesus Christ, we should really say, as we read that, Jesus the Christ, or Jesus, Jesus the, Christ. the Messiah, or the anointed one. That's exactly right. Okay. And so the question is, uh, it's kind of like he's being marked out to be the future king. Uh, he is the anointed future king. What is his kingship going to look like? What what kind of administration is this going to be? How is he going to go about becoming and being king? So how in the world does this 
desert experience <laughs> give us any clarity to that? Yeah, that's so great question. So the first thing to note, and we're just going to kind of walk through the passage a little bit. Uh, we read right after the baptism, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So the Spirit took him out there. The Spirit okay. took him out there. Um, in Mark's gospel, he says it so strongly as he was cast into the desert by the Spirit. Um, same word that Jesus casts demons out. Like drug out there. The Holy Spirit like takes Jesus out into the desert. Um, and, and just like at a certain devotional level, I remember I was going through a difficult dry season one time uh, in my spirituality and my faith. And I, I went to Robert Cup, uh, who... who planted fellowship and has been a mentor to so many of us. And I asked him about like, what's wrong? Why am I in this season? And he took me to this story and he said, the spirit led Jesus into the desert intentionally for purpose. And he cautioned me, he said, Nick, don't assume that because you're in a dry, difficult season, that that necessarily means there's something wrong. Sometimes God uses, it takes us in to dry, difficult seasons to grow our faith and to grow our faithfulness in him. And so I think the first thing we see is, is there's an identifying with the human experience that Jesus comes off this, we could call it a mountaintop experience, where the heavens open up and the Father says, this is my son, and then immediately he goes into a season of testing and temptation. It's not a, it's not a couple hours, it's 40 days of this. 40 yeah. days of it. Yeah. Um, and so there's something, I think, really true to life about that experience. Yeah, and just that's that's really helpful because so much of our, I think our experience of our faith, we tie to the subjective, momentary mm-hmm. kind of feeling of it, the emotion yes. of it, and that can be really tricky. And I think so much of our pastoral counseling and so many people I just talk to, just as being a Jesus follower, we feel these dry seasons or we feel these down moments or whatever, and those subjective feelings then begin to tell us what is real or true. And that, that can be really, really tough to navigate. And this is helpful. Just doesn't the subjective feeling might not indicate that God is against you. It, it doesn't. Absolutely. Actually. There's, there's what's true in it. And it, it gives us a balanced approach that those subjective glorious feelings are awesome. And when you have those encounters where you have a strong sense of God's presence and his love for you, accept that. But we don't have to be skeptical or cynical about that. Those are gifts. And the flip side of that is when they're not there, that doesn't mean God has abandoned us. Right. And so we see in a very small snapshot here of the launch of Jesus' ministry, both. Um, both the verbal, really powerful affirmation of God's love for him and then being led into a season of testing and hunger. And so the Spirit takes him into the desert where for 40 days he endured temptations from the devil. Now, it says that he ate nothing during those days, and when they were completed, he was famished. Now, there's all kinds of symbolism coming out here that, that connects with Israel's story. So, first of all, being led into the, the wilderness from the Jordan River, that's going east. And that theme of going east from the Promised Land is... It fills the Old Testament story. Adam and Eve, when they sin and leave the garden, they are sent east. Banished. They're yeah. banished. When Abraham is called to go to the promised land, he's called from the east. Um, when uh, when Israel, that we could give so many stories of this, when Jacob flees for his life, he leaves the promised land and goes east into a kind of exile. And then ultimately Israel, when they in sin are disciplined and sent 
out of the promised land into Babylon. They are sent east into exile. So I think I'm getting it. There's something about the, there's almost a, a compelling narrative about the story of the human condition yeah. in leaving the land, the place of blessing where God is, and mm-hmm. being sent away. It almost highlights the problem of sin. This is where the people that are broken end up. Yes, okay. absolutely. Bro- it, brokenness happens to the east, outside the the place of blessing, outside of the, the fruitfulness and the closeness of encounter with God. And, and Jesus is, despite his perfection, d- despite his close relationship with God, in his identity with our fallenness, our brokenness, the Spirit leads him into a kind of exile, into a kind of uh, desert place. And he's led there to fast and for 40 days, even the 40-day time period is significant. That number 40, um, Israel would hear that, and they would think about the 40 years in the wilderness mm-hmm. in the same way that Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. So Jesus is going to spend 40 days in the wilderness. It's a it's a compressed timeline. And he gets out there, and, and he has a face-off with Satan. And so one of the things that's, uh, I think, important in this understanding, what is Jesus' uh, kingship going to look like? One of his tasks is we have an enemy. And that has always been the role of the king of Israel is to face down the enemy of God's people. Um, you think kind of the, the paradigmatic picture of that is David and Goliath. Israel has an enemy, so what's God's anointed going to do? He's going to go crush the enemy. And so now that Jesus is the anointed, he's being taken out to face the enemy of God's people. Well, it seems, it, uh, this is really interesting, it seems compelling that the enemy keeps winning. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yes. the story of the Bible is that that enemy is pretty strong and has a pretty good track record because these movements to the east, these exiles keep happening. Yes. And and what's in, another interesting side of that is the method by which the enemy wins. Um there is not a single story in the Bible of God's people living in complete loyalty and trust and getting defeated. Yeah, that's interesting. The enemy doesn't win by force. He, he doesn't win by being stronger than God. He doesn't. It, what the way he wins is by the unfaithfulness of God's people. It is. It wasn't David when he was going in faith, crushed Goliath. What took David down? Temptation and sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what takes the people of God out. And so, interestingly, when Jesus goes out to do war with Satan, Satan doesn't show up with a flaming sword, and Jesus gets out his right, sword, and we're right. going to see who wins the duel. Uh, Satan tried to take Jesus out the same way he took Adam out. Because he had a good track record. Because he had a great track he record. He kept it winning this way, yeah. He, 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 was, he was undefeated in getting God's people to sin. He could do it every time. Interestingly, there's, there's so many parallels between Jesus and Adam here because here is Jesus doing this face-off with Satan, um, and Satan's going to go after him with these three temptations that kind of mirror the three things that Eve saw in the fruit that were so good. But think about the contrast. When Adam and Eve are being tempted, they're in a garden where they're su- supplied with lush fruit and all the blessing and comfort of God. Jesus is going to go under undergo temptation in a desert without food. So he is stripped of all the comfort. And the question is, when he it, it kind of reminds me of the Job story where Satan says, Hey, take away everything Job has. Will he still love you then? Jesus is put, if you can imagine at just at a human level. Um, fleshly level, Jesus is stripped to his most weak. Mm-hmm. He's in the hot desert, forty days famished. Not and and symbolically, symbolically facing down the accuser, the Satan, the one who is 
undefeated. We might even say Adam and Eve fought that battle on maybe their home their home yeah. field. Yes. And Jesus is going into the enemy's field onto their home field advantage where they have everything going for them. Yep. And here comes the square down. And here comes the square down. So so Satan goes to work and he says, If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in a flash all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, To you will all grant this whole realm and the glory that goes along with it, for it has been relinquished to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. So then if you will worship me, all this will be yours. Jesus answered him. It is written, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil brought him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And with their hands, they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. So when the devil had completed every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. Game, it's, like, it's almost like like game over, like knockout punch. Yeah. He tried, he swung with everything he had, mm-hmm. and Jesus emerges as the the true Messiah, like yeah. the one who defeated Satan. Yes. And I think there's some interesting echoes, because in a sense, all of this story is leading us to the cross. And so I even hear in these temptations, similar temptations that are actually going to be thrown at Jesus on the cross. Hey, if you're really the son of God, cut this pain short. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. If you're really the son of God, couldn't, couldn't you just command the angels and they'd come get you? And so in a similar way, I think Satan early in the ministry of Jesus is asking Jesus, will you use your authority as the son of God to take the easy way out of suffering? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to step right into this in faith. I'm going to step into the difficulty. So we're getting an early taste of the suffering of the Messiah. And interestingly, where everyone else has failed, uh, the other followers of the Lord, the other people that have represented God's people, um, they have been willing in so many ways to fight really large, colossal battles with Satan, and they failed on the intimate personal ones. So Jesus launched his, his ministry with the intimate personal one. He, he launched his ministry by letting Satan go after his weakest, most vulnerable moments as a human, and he emerged victorious. He won. He won the battle. And so that, that sets the stage for something really different. Mm-hmm. Where every other person has failed, Jesus succeeded. So like when... when when you said that, I literally got goosebumps because that's just really cool. And I think what's interesting is I think so often we we miss these stories and kind of the import of them. So if you think about it, with this story, we already have an announcement. This early in our Gospels, Jesus is the one who defeats the enemy. Yep. And that, that, that right here, right at the very beginning, and I think you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here. So often when we read this, I think this is what we tend to do. We go, okay. Uh, this is teaching me how to combat temptation by quoting scripture back to the temptation right. when I feel it. Mm-hmm. And we, we, that, that might be a helpful yeah, some thing to do. To yeah. Like that might be helpful when we face temptation, but when we do that, we miss what the story is trying to communicate to the audience. And what you're talking about is such a grand, huge, profound announcement. The enemy of God's people the one who is undefeated and the one who keeps causing exile 
has been defeated in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it goes to something in, in our human condition we desperately need. I mean, how many of us have been let down by leadership figures that had wonderful programs and agendas, but their personal integrity failed? Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we long for this authenticity in someone that we can trust implicitly. And what Jesus showed us is he, at the deepest core of who he is, is everything he's going to preach. Yeah, everything awesome. he's going to lead people in. Jesus is that. So we can trust him. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there, there's some great principles here for how to withstand temptation. But even higher than that mm-hmm. is recognizing that Jesus is the one who did withstand temptation. The one who is our king, and he deserves to be followed. Mm-hmm. He's the, the true king. He's who the true lives king. with wisdom and righteousness in the land. That's awesome. He's our light. And uh, he's the one to follow. And, uh, and that's part of what this whole epiphany season is about, is following uh, the revelation of God in the flesh. Well, man, that, that, is, that is awesome. And that just that gets me excited just to kind of re-engage the story that we see in the gospel of Jesus and to get a better vision and a better focus on him in this 2020 year. And so we hope this is helpful. And thanks for listening to the Clarity Podcast. <laughs>